You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Space. It's really cold here. This is a podcast on the Starship Neverland. It's continuing mission to take our pixie out of our pockets, to sprinkle some pixie dust around, and have happy thoughts, to boldly fly to Neverland every week! Welcome aboard NC5571. Yes, the Starship Neverland. Uh, I bet you didn't realize I had a Starship here in Neverland. I bet you were able to go along with me in our Neverland official TARDIS. Uh, so why not have a Starship as well? I mean, heck, I built that Death Star. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't a Death Star over at Disney, Indiana. Oh, which, by the way, Scott and Tracy will be here later to help me discuss the 50th anniversary of Star Trek after I've also reviewed Star Trek Beyond for you. So we got a lot of things going on this week, and it's going to be a long show because, my goodness, uh, there was a uh, Star Wars Celebration Europe last week and San Diego Comic-Con going on. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about some things we've learned. Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Okay, this will sort of be in place of our normal trailer park, uh, because there were so many different trailers going on that I can't possibly play all of them for you, but I can list some of them out, and I will definitely be playing one of them for you, and we'll we'll use that for our trailer park, but we'll talk about some of these trailers that went around, and also some little things that I found out about what was going on in Hall H. Now, Hall H apparently had some sort of special footage or something with Baby Groot to uh, help announce Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which we do know we have Kurt Russell playing Ego, which in the comics is uh, apparently a big planet with a face. So apparently that might be the case, although it may be altered for the movie. And then Sylvester Stallone, I still don't know anything about the character he's playing. But in the middle of this announcement, uh, we did get a video uh, right here from Joe Rohde. Hi, I'm Joe Rohde, and I'm here to tell you about this exciting new addition to Disney California Adventure. Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. It takes you into the world of Guardians of the Galaxy in this really immersive, exciting experience that features the really quirky and beloved characters from the film in a whole new narrative that no one's ever seen. We're working with everybody on this, with Joe Quesada and Kevin Feige. We've got James Gunn, the director from the film. And it's this incredible team of people coming together to make this really, really exciting attraction. The setting is a kind of warehouse fortress power plant where the collector keeps all of the objects that he's brought from all around the universes. 
once we enter, we're kind of in a museum. All this stuff is all around us in cases, in vitrines, and in there now, imprisoned, are the guardians of the galaxy. Rocket is enlisting our aid in helping the guardians break out of this place. This all leads to the same kind of like insanely fun rocketing up and down ride experience that we have today. But the framing and the setting and the pacing and the timing all completely altered to feed this really very funny, very exciting, very irreverent story. Music plays a big role in Guardians of the Galaxy as it does here. So as the chaos unfolds, as we zoom up and down, we're doing this to the tune of, of course, great rock and roll, we have multiple ride profiles, multiple scores, multiple action. You just don't know what's gonna happen. And it's the first in what is gonna become a whole new universe in Disney California Adventure. All of this is happening as we speak. As things emerge and as things develop, I'll be back to tell you more about all this stuff that's gonna happen uh, as we go forward and we make this really, really cool, really wonderful addition to Disney California Adventure. Yes, the Tower of Terror is leaving Disney California Adventure. And I bet you already heard about this, and I bet you've already had a reaction to this. And I saw a lot of people disliking this video on YouTube. Yes, this is... It's not even really a new ride from the sound of it. It sounds like it's still the Tower of Terror ride. They're just going to re-theme it and rebuild around it and make it a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Uh, possibly something around the, the, the Nowhere area, because they do talk... You know, he did mention the collector and things like that so i you know we don't know what all is going on with that uh there's people who i did see someone saying that uh, they're not going to like that in the sky around disney california adventure they're going to now see more of a space station instead of a hollywood hotel um but I, I don't i don't i've never been over there i've not been into disneyland or dca so i i can't say anything to the point of that now, I do find it interesting they're doing that in Disneyland, and they probably will not be doing it over in Walt Disney World because they're so close to Universal Florida. Not to mention, the Hollywood Hotel fits so well with the uh, the theming there in the Hollywood Studios of being an old retro Hollywood down that street there you have. Uh, and so having that hotel there, I, I, I have a feeling the Tower of Terror over there in Florida is not going anywhere. So there still will be a Tower of Terror, it just won't be in around Disneyland anymore. Which, you know, that's okay. I mean, the parks can be different, right? Uh, they're just giving you the same kind of ride. They're just giving you a different experience. And I'm sure it'll be great and fun. Uh, but I know a lot of people, purists, who hate it when things change. They're all going to freak out. And uh, I must say I was a little kind of surprised because I was hearing the rumors, like all of us were, about a Guardians of the Galaxy ride taking out the Tower of Terror. I just didn't think it would actually happen. Uh... But, but there it is. And I think if we just sit and relax, Disney usually does make some pretty good things. Let's take a look at what they make. But, of course, a lot of people are also upset that Star Wars is taking such a large presence in the parks. I think it will all be worth it by the end. I mean, that's Disneyland and Disney World. And it's not really supposed to always just stay the same. It's supposed to always change as long as there's imagination left in the world, right? So let's just sit back, relax, and take a look and see what happens. Now, some other interesting things, and I have nothing I can share about this, except for there was some a little bit of footage going on with Spider-Man Homecoming. And on Twitter, the only thing I've gotten to see is a concept art that does indeed show the Vulture. 
Uh, so, you know, the rumors I guess I've been hearing about the Vulture possibly being part of this whole thing appears to be true. Um, now, when you get a look at this, this isn't uh, quite what we expect. Because normally the Vulture's, you know, magnetic uh, abilities, you know, he, you know, he's built a magnetic pack and he uses that to uh, and flaps his wings and moves himself around. This appears to have, like, um, some fans or something on the on the wings. If you go and look at their Twitter feed, the official Spider-Man, you know, go to at Spider-Man movie. You can see this picture, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and while I'm uh, looking at it right now, um, I'll retweet this out on Hootsuite so you'll be able to get a look at it. But it's got these like propeller things in the wings, and it's got like actual vulture claws. Uh, so I mean, it's different. It's very, uh, very much a high tech type of thing, which looks cool. It looks like his his concept of flight might be a little different. Maybe this is going to work a little bit more with a, a, a different propulsion system. Uh, so it's definitely something different than what we're used to, but uh, it does look very cool. Some other interesting news on the Marvel front was the casting of Brie Larson, and that she's going to be playing Captain Marvel. I have never heard of her before. She apparently was in something called The Room. Uh, and, uh, she, uh, apparently she also was in there to promote Skull Island, which is basically a remake of King Kong from the look of things. Uh, but it's done by the people who made that last Godzilla film, which is fairly cool. Um, so, I'm kind of up in the air. Although, this looks like it's going to focus more on the island. And they've got kind of an all-star cast, including... Uh, uh, I almost said Tom Holland, but it's... it's <laughs> you know, Loki. We'll just say Tom Hiddleston. Uh, him, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, and apparently also Brie Larson uh, is all in this Kong movie. But Brie Larson is going to be playing Captain Marvel... Uh, which, like I said, I'm not very familiar with her. I'm going to start following her on Facebook, or not Facebook, on Twitter, rather, just to keep an eye on it, uh, to see what's going on with it. But, you know, at least we have somebody cast. Uh, she might be the best suited for it, I guess. Uh, that's not exactly who I would have picked, but I'm only a fan. And sometimes, you know, you got to trust the movie makers to uh, cast somebody who's going to be better than what you might have expected. Uh, but there was a long fleet of trailers, including Doctor Strange. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't nobody gonna sing with okay. The Neverland Trailer Park. Doctor Strange. You think you know how the world works? What if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, we harness energy and shape reality. We travel great distances in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice. Here's the bit. There's a strength to him. But is he ready? Be careful which paths you travel down, Strange. Stronger men than you have lost their way. Death and pain. You'll die protecting this world. I can't 
through this. There is no other way. I've spent so many years peering through time. Looking for you. What's this, my mantra? It's the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages. Now this looks amazing, as if we didn't know already. Uh, of course, there's a lot of other trailers that came across there. Uh, let me list a few of these out for you. Uh, I mean, well, goodness, we had a, a new trailer for Suicide Squad. I'm still really not interested in this. It's uh, I even uh, so one place I found it on YouTube. I even called it the Guardians of the Galaxy Street Edition because it's very much I don't know. It seems very street style, uh, but it's it really wants to be Guardians of the Galaxy from all I can get. Uh, we had a new trailer for Fantastic Beasts: Where to Find Them. It was shown. Uh, there was a really cool trailer for the Lego Batman movie where we get a little bit more of the plot, and it is, of course, involving him uh, bringing in Dick Grayson, a little nerdy kid, to be Robin. There is also a King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which I was really not impressed with that trailer. It doesn't seem like I got the feel of anything when you're doing Arthurian legends and stuff like that. It looks like they're trying to do a new spin on it, which I don't think it needed a new spin, so I'm really not interested in that. However, there was a really cool trailer for Wonder Woman, Although, when I watched it, I thought I was watching Captain America the First Avenger. Uh, it looks like she's going to be fighting World War One instead of World War Two, so they're trying to make it different that way. But it, it just you have a red and blue colorful character in the middle fighting a war. Oh yeah, that was Captain America. But it still looks really cool, so I am interested to see this. Uh, also, we did finally get a look at a Justice League trailer already. I mean, DC is trying to just shove their stuff out as fast as they can. It feels like they're rushing to play catch-up with Marvel. Marvel can you know, put out a couple movies a year. Uh, this is like DC just putting out as much as they possibly can, saying, please, please, please like us, like one of our, our movies. And Justice League, it does look cool, and you get a better look at their their Barry Allen and their, and their Flash, and uh, he looks a lot different than what he looked like in the uh, Dawn of uh, Justice movie there, Batman vs. Superman. Uh, but, you know, it, I gotta say, it did look cool, and I'm going to end up checking it out, and you probably are as well, even though, you know, we're Marvel and Disney people. But, you know what, we still like our DC stuff, right? Uh, even if their movies are far inferior to anything Marvel is doing, in my opinion. But there it is. Uh, so, the only other thing that I want to mention to you is at the Celebration in Star Wars, Celebration Europe, there was a trailer for Star Wars Rebel Season 3 and Grand Admiral Thrawn. For anyone who read any like the Timothy Zahn books that kind of brought the whole expanded universe or extended universe, whichever you want to use, uh, with Star Wars books, that was the beginning of it, uh, really. I mean, there were, some, I think, a couple books before that that I didn't read, but Tim the Timothy Zahn books are the ones that I really remember. They were directly sequels to Return of the Jedi, and it was, what, it was like five years later? Uh, I think Leia was pregnant at the time or whatever, but Grand Admiral Thrawn was this kind of blue-skinned Grand Admiral of what was left of the Empire, and he was this brilliant tactician and strategist, and he was really schooling uh, the New Republic. 
so now well, they've decided everybody really kind of liked that character, so they brought him in for Star Wars Rebels, so now he's an officially a canon character, and Timothy Zahn is actually going to have a book called Thrawn, which is going to give the, the new story of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Now, this is cool. I mean, my only problem is with when they're trying to connect books and movies and television all together... Uh, one of the things I know that happened with all the books is going is, yeah, everybody had a license to be able to write Star Wars books, but they didn't always match. They were all supposed to be canon, but they were all kind of out of sorts. Uh, there was different details that just didn't fit together very well, and I'm afraid with trying to push so much Star Wars out there with different books and everything that somewhere or another, it's not quite going to coincide together. I mean, already Star Wars Rebels is... Where is it going to fit in with where New Hope starts? And, uh, you know, I've heard something about Dave Filoni talking about that this stuff could still be going on during the events of the Star Wars films. But then you, you've got the whole problem that, you know, if Luke is supposed to be the last of the Jedi at one point, I mean, I don't know. you got Force users still out there. And you've got, you know, well, I guess Kanan is not a full Jedi. He was a Padawan, and so he, uh, he's not going to be able to train Ezra completely to make Ezra a complete Jedi. Although we are seeing in this uh, trailer uh, a different look for Ezra. He's a little bit older, uh, a little wiser. Now, I'm still actually behind on Star Wars Rebels. I am somewhere in the middle of, of Season 2, but I recently reactivated my Netflix account. So I'm trying to get caught up on the Clone Wars episodes that I actually did miss. And I've, I've fallen behind on everything because I'm just really busy and I can only watch so many shows. And I'm, you know, trying to go back to school and everything, so... I'm really behind on this stuff, but this did look very, very, very cool. One more thing I definitely want to bring up before I uh, go into the movie review is that they announced that on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we will have Ghost Rider. We will not be having Danny or Johnny Blaze. What we're going to have is a kind of a newer character. Now, I, I don't read a lot of Ghost Rider. I haven't really paid attention to the character. But uh, I believe the name is Robbie Reyes, who's kind of a more of a recent character. Who uh, He's got a slightly different origin than, than the typical Ghost Rider. And I guess it has been revealed that there are multiple Ghost Riders, and each one of them has a different story. Uh, in the comics, from what I have discovered, uh, this is somebody who is possessed, actually, by kind of a, a serial killer type of ghost. And so I don't know what's going to become of the character and how Ghost Rider is going to be presented. But it is still very cool that we're going to get to see a Ghost Rider inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes, is connected to the films. Now, I have seen some outpouring of people saying, no, we wanted a Netflix series. Well, who's to say you can't have one? Just because they're bringing it in to um, really spice up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't mean that character can't spin off onto Netflix, right? I mean, come on, let's let's keep an open mind and just enjoy the ride. How about it? Uh, but now, I believe it's time for a movie review. Oh, there'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! My dad joined Starfleet because he believed in it. I joined on a dare. You joined to see if you could live up to him. You spent all this time trying to be your father. Now you're wondering just what it means to be you. It isn't uncommon, you know. It's easy to get lost. 
in the vastness of space. There's only yourself, your ship, your crew. You really want to head back out there, huh? What the hell is this? They're boarding us. Abandon ship! I know why you're here. Why we are all here. Our captain will come for us. Mercy will be the last thing on his mind. I am counting on it. Fear of death is illogical. Fear of death is what keeps us alive. Everyone who goes there, he kills. That's our friends out there. We can't just leave them behind. Unity is not your strength. It's a weakness. I think you're underestimating humanity. Hold on to something! Fire will! Do it! Do it! Pardon me. So I've just returned from an away mission to view the new Star Trek Beyond film. And I must say, from the get-go, this was, I think, probably one of the best summer movies I have seen so far this summer. This really did live up to more than the expectations I had for it. I mean, you go into it expecting, okay, well, it's a Star Trek movie, and it's the J.J. Abrams style, so, you know, here we go. We had one really kind of bad trailer where it seemed very strange to have the Beastie Boys sabotage playing, which actually kind of gets an explanation in the movie, but I will not spoil anything for you, so I won't tell you how, but it does show up in the movie, and it actually just seems to be appropriate, and they actually found a way to fit it into the story. There was a second trailer that did feel a little bit more Star Trek style, so it gave me hope that this would still be a you know, good movie, and so I thought, well, this is going to be at least decent, so we'll check it out. But this was a lot better than I expected. This really did help to recapture the feel of classic Star Trek a little bit, with still feeling like the modern movies. In fact, they even go through and make sure they mention that they have now been in their five-year mission for three years, which the original Star Trek series did last three seasons. So they only, we only got to three see, see three years of their five-year mission. So they actually set it up to where you know the original series pretty much could have happened in the time in between these two films. So I like that. That was a very nice touch. And so it, it kind of begs the question of, well, what would happen next in this new, of course, altered timeline because... The episode Space Seed with Khan, well, I, I guess it really wouldn't have happened now in this new timeline because they already had Khan in the movie. But that's okay. You know, we, we move on. This was definitely, I very much enjoyed it. This, uh, I think we got to look at some, a lot more kind of different type of aliens uh, from different planets. Just, these movies have gotten more and more diverse with the different types of uh, characters we've seen, which is something we're, we're really used to in Star Trek, of seeing really unique kind of humanoid alien creatures, uh, even some new ones that we've never seen before, and uh, even some weird uh, characteristics of them, like uh, Kiesner. I hope I'm getting the name right, but you know, they've got a little guy that runs around with uh, Montgomery Scott 
who's in, you know, is part of the Federation. He's also in engineering. We found out that when he's sick, if he gets a cold, his uh, mucus is acidic and dangerously so, and a little weird bit of humor. Uh, they also they did dedicate this film to Anton Yelkin and Leonard Nimoy, and there's some very nice tribute to Leonard Nimoy within the film, and it actually became an important part of the plot that uh, Ambassador Scott is no, or Ambassador Spock, I'm sorry, is no longer among the living. And they actually added that to part of the story, because, you know, part of the interesting thing with Star Trek is you have all these different characters, and different characters should be going through a little bit of their arc, and have different things that's uh, on their mind, and things they're dealing with, while this uh, interesting storyline is going on. A story pretty much takes place at about the point where the Enterprise is docking at a place called Yorktown. Uh, it's basically a city in space. Uh, it, it's got a starbase you do get to see later, kind of nearby from what you know the traditional look that we're used to for a starbase. Uh, but it, this is kind of this. Uh, it's described at one point as a snow globe. The way it looks, uh, it's got multiple different gravity things. I mean, uh, a bunch of different rings kind of going around. They each has their own gravity where buildings are built on it. I mean, it's really really cool to look at. But they're docking at this city, and uh, things start to kind of go wild when they interrupt a transmission from a ship that's coming by that says, hey, there's this nebula that's supposed to be completely unexplored in all fashions, where they lost their crew. This one, one uh, they, I don't remember if they even really gave a name to the character uh, or said what species she was, because there are a lot of species that you just don't get names of in Star Trek sometimes. But, uh, you know, she's basically saying that she needs help. She's lost her crew in this nebula, and the only ship capable of going to this nebula is, of course, the Enterprise, because it was built for exploring the unknown. Uh, which, of course, launches us into the main story, where they are suddenly attacked by what looks like a bunch of nanobots somewhere crossed with a swarm of bees. These ships, they don't bother shooting at the Enterprise, because, of course, shields, what they're able to do is penetrate the shields and uh, plow right into the ship, just crash right into it uh, as almost kamikaze style, but these ships are able to take it. They reminded me of the mining ships from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're just super durable. You mean, you could blast them and destroy them, but they're durable enough to where they can uh, have a collision. Uh, so, with a you know half hour into the movie, and we're already watching the destruction of the Enterprise that you have seen in the trailer, but after now crash landing in a planet and getting separated and all the crew and all the major characters, it's... The, a theme of unity is kind of brought up many times during the film, and it's them being able to come back together and unite to uh, to solve the mystery of this new enemy named Kral, K-R-A-L-L. His identity, what he wants, how do we stop him, he's got a biological weapon that apparently is this ancient weapon that he's been searching to, to go through and find, and he intends to take this biological weapon to Yorktown and destroy it and you know, kill everybody there. And, of course, beginning a war against the Federation, which you're kind of wondering, well, what does he have against the Federation? Why? Because he knows Kirk by name, which is kind of a frightening thing to Kirk, because in his first encounter with this person, Grawl kind of grabs him by the throat and is like, Kirk, Kirk, you know. So there's the mystery of why does he know all this stuff about us? Why does he want to destroy the Federation? Which, it takes a long time for them to solve the mystery, but that's actually what Star Trek is about, is having some sort of mysterious thing going on, encountering something new, and then trying to figure out how are we going to survive this, or if it's a, a threat to the Federation and all of the universe or something, how we stop that person from causing that much damage and killing a bunch of people. Really, a lot of great character react, uh, interactions, some new interesting characters introduced that I hope we'll be seeing more of. Lots of fun, uh, good emotional moments, a lot of stuff to, to leave you thinking. 
They're able to sit there and, of course, and have a scene where they're talking about how we're going to fix this with ridiculously technological jargon that we don't completely understand, but we understand the gist of what they're planning to do when they go through it, but they're able to just deliver these lines of dialogue that you're like, well, wait a minute, what, 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 you're going to do what to the what? You know, But yet you kind of understand what they're doing a little bit. Uh, but to now enable to carry a scene like that, I mean, that's, that's some pretty quality acting right there. Uh, but overall, lots of fun. Definitely might be one of the best of these newer Star Trek films, and this might help appease uh, some of the people who were not really satisfied with some of these later Star Trek films, with some of the changes they made to the universe, uh, and maybe these felt too action-oriented for some people, and, you know, there there is some action to this, but I don't think it's any more action than what we're used to in some of the older Star Trek films. In fact, there's a definite nod to some of the classic Star Trek films, um, and this is definitely a very nice tribute for the 50 years of Star Trek. And, you know, of course, like I said, uh, they dedicated it to Leonard Nimoy and to Anton, Anton, which, of course, we will not see either of them in any further Star Trek films. Uh, we do appreciate their contributions to this series. Uh, but this definitely was a good movie to get dedicated to them. Uh, everything just felt right about this. Uh, it's, it gets more and more classic Star Trek. Even Chris Pine's hairstyle reminded me a lot more of William Shatner's old hairstyle. And even some new uniforms that we get to see that are very reminiscent of original series uniforms, even with the uh, kind of gold rings around the sleeves and stuff like that. Very, very cool. I expect to see some cosplay of these uniforms very soon. I really, I'd kind of like, like to get one of these. They weren't the ones that's been used in the previous movies where they had like almost a textured look of having multiple Federation symbols or whatever, you know. These were old school style, but yet modernized. Uh, very, very cool. The only thing they haven't done yet that I, I think would be awesome is, uh, you remember Captain Kirk's kind of green shirt he kind of wore for a while that was sort of a different design, and he, he stood out from the other crew members? I'd like to see a modern take on that, but uh, we have heard there's going to be a fourth film, so maybe we'll get it there. But this is definitely on my recommendation. Go out and see this one. See it multiple times. It's probably one of the best films I've seen since, uh, like, Finding Dory and the BFG. Uh, and maybe even better than both of those. This actually was a summer movie that lived up to what it should have been, unlike the last two movies that I got to see that just didn't quite hit the mark of what they, they should have been. Uh, so, let's move on to our next segment. To Disney and Beyond! My communications officer has been telling me that we've made contact with two guests in Disney Indiana. Uh, so, do a transporter room have you locked onto our targets? Uh, yes, I'm being told we have locked on, so, uh, uh, well, let's be moving aboard. Engage! Well, hello, Scott and Tracy. Welcome to the uh, Starship Neverland. How did you get in touch with us? This is an unlisted wall. Uh, hey, Mortis kind of gave me the number because oh, that explains everything. Mortis. Well, you know he, you know he is kind of the hero of Disney in the end. I did call in and tell you what happened while you were in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we love have Mortis. To cut, we have to cut him a little slack now, Scott. So he's he's the man now. I'm sorry, Scott. Uh, but, of course, for anyone who doesn't know or is not familiar with Disney and uh, in Indiana, we have the lovely and talented Tracy and then her co-host, Scott. <laughs> who is also lovely and talented. Okay. Well, Just I'm not glad. in podcasting. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad you think so because you two have been buried for a good long time and podcasting together, so you better like him. <laughs> it's required. I signed a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, it was a marriage certificate, right? Yep. <laughs> Well, uh, so of course, the reason why I've beamed you two aboard is Star Trek has now been in existence for 50 years, and I don't remember if this was 
when we were recording one point or we were just talking off air one time about, you know, I thought, oh, I got to do something for Star Trek at some point and figured hey, I got to have you two on because you're also Star Trek fans. And so, well, now here we are. And uh, I tell you what, uh, you guys are probably still, I, I'm not sure exactly how old, how young you are, but I don't think you were alive during the initial run of the of original series, were you? Almost. Almost, yeah. <laughs> Close, but not quite, you know. So, Missed it by that much. Yeah, because you guys are still under 50, right? So... Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, see, you're you're still young. Of course, we can make fun of Paul Barry. He's turning fifty here, so pretty quick. So neater, neater. But he's still younger than my parents are. Anyway, <laughs> which, by the way, we will have to talk about Friends of the Magic and what you guys are doing and everything, and that's coming up because we have something going on too. So don't let me forget to bring that up later. But uh, so, what was the first time you saw Star Trek? Would you guys get to see it in syndication? I guess first, or was the series? Well, no, I guess the series probably wasn't even rolling at all uh, when you were born. So you probably yeah. like me syndication. It was syndication. I remember uh, very vividly getting up on Sunday mornings. Um, usually we spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house on the weekends. And I can remember watching, they always had a Star Trek episode and then their, uh, you know, some sort of monster movie usually afterwards. And I was hooked on both from an early age. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I don't have any memories quite that specific, but I do remember catching the occasional episode in syndication as well. Yeah, I remember every afternoon when uh, I was very young still, they had, uh, of course, He-Man came on at 4.30, so I had to make sure I was there for that. And then 5 o'clock, they'd have an episode of the old 60s Batman, and then they would show Star Trek. So I would watch it every time. Although Star Trek, when I was that young, I didn't understand it at all. Because uh, the, the interesting thing is, despite what J.J. Abrams has done when making it very kind of action-oriented, it was very, I mean, it was social commentary and very cerebral and almost detective work in a weird sci-fi way. I actually enjoyed that quite a bit because it wasn't, for lack of a better term, it wasn't kind of playing to the lowest common denominator. It was It was playing to... You know, fans of sci-fi, yeah. which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and, I've, and I've been a science fiction fan literally ever since I can remember. So I also enjoyed the fact that, yeah, it wasn't just action sequences and it wasn't just shooting at other starships. There was a lot of thought put into the episodes. And as I grew older, I started to recognize more of that social significance in the commentary that Gene Roddenberry put in his episodes. Yeah, and a good sci-fi really does that. It always takes a look at some aspect of our society, and we learn something a little bit about ourselves when we really get into it. And usually you don't know that that's what they're doing until closer to the end of the episode, and then it mm -hmm. kind of sinks in, and you can't believe that you know they just took an issue that really TV couldn't tackle, and you put it you know off into the future with different uh, aliens and stuff, but it's the same issue, and you could deal with it then. Mm-hmm. In a way that you you never seem preachy if you do it right, but but yet everybody kind of gets the point. Yep. I mean, Isaac Asimov, I think, was really big on that, and the, the different ways he could think of, like if you read I Robot, mm -hmm. all these different stories and all the different things he could think of, and you're just you know that's one of the ones you have to read multiple times to get everything that he really put into it. It's just brilliant. But of course, we're supposed to be talking about Star Trek, but still. <laughs> Yeah, and the fun thing is, is I don't know how many people, when they first showed it, 
got to see that original pilot episode, and I'm trying to think what that captain's name was, and I know they did put him into the recent movies, which is really cool. Captain Pike. Captain Pike, thank you. Uh, but I like the DVD sets. A friend of mine bought those, and I borrowed it so I could actually watch, and uh, it's, it's almost a completely different feel because Captain Pike was very different from what Captain Kirk was. And his number two was even more different. Oh, no, I'm trying to remember who his number two was. Uh, goodness. It was Major Barrett. Mm, yeah. So it's completely different. And uh, I don't know what happened in the in-between. I don't know if that was ever aired on television. Do you Do you guys know? It was not aired in its original form, but uh, it, halfway through season one, there's a two-part episode called The Menagerie, mm-hmm. where they incorporate... Um, video and, and scenes from the unaired pilot into into the episode. But from what I understand, um, they brought you know, Gene Roddenberry brought that original pilot uh, to the to the studio and they weren't they they saw something but they weren't all that impressed with it. So instead of telling him, you know, no, we're not going to do it, they made they made the strange request uh, in Hollywood of requesting a second pilot, which is something very rare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get a second chance to get try to get it right. Up. Yeah. <laughs> to which we had slightly different casts. So they brought in William Shatner, which um, I believe he had been like, it had some minor characters in some movies at this point. Uh, I know I did watch them a little bit of documentary. Uh, let me see if I find that real fast. Yeah, the big thing I remember Shatner from before I saw this was the Twilight Zone. Yes, there we go. That's... I'm glad I brought you all along because that's what I was trying to think of. It's a Terror at 20,000 feet? Yes, where he sees the uh, the little gremlin on the wing of the plane. Right. <laughs> You'd think I would have thought of that off the top of my head, but yes, exactly. And I, I think there was some movie also other than that, though, but that was the main one I know from the Twilight Zone. So he'd, he'd had a little bit of, uh, there we go, uh, he was actually Ranger Bob on the Canadian Howdy Doody show. In Canada. So he had done some work in there, did actually uh, some Shakespeare festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here we go. First feature role, Butler's Night. Uh, his movie debut in this, was a Canadian film called Butler's Night Off. And then his feature role in MGM was the brothers Karamazov with Yul Brenner. And he was the youngest of the Karamazov brother. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, yeah, so he had a few small bits. And there was even, uh, he had a leading role in an Alfred Hitchcock Presents third season episode called The Glass Eye which is actually one of the first appearances he had on American television. And, of course, then we later, of course, the Twilight Zone. And then he gets what's pretty much going to be his entire life when he's cast as Captain Kirk. I mean, that is the most impersonated character you will ever see in your life. And we all could do it. <laughs> yeah. We all think we can do it. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> really, it was like, it's like when we impersonate Kirk, we're impersonating somebody else's impersonation. Right. Sort of like Dana Carvey. Every impersonation he does is where everybody else learns to impersonate that person. <laughs> Because yeah, that's the thing. You, you get so used to that um, delivery of pausing, and then you watch the series, and you realize he wasn't doing it that much. But you can kind of pick it out a little bit. But still, if, if him and Adam West would have ever gotten a series together, it would have been the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> still could happen. Please let it happen. I, I would even just be happy if they were both at the same Comic-Con together. Put their booths next to each other. Just that would be awesome. That would be the coolest thing. I would pay whatever it took to, to get whatever sort of autograph in line at that point. So, but yeah. So you also brought in uh, this. I guess it was Leonard Nimoy before he uh, famously recorded that Hobbit song, which it's it's silly, but I love it. Oh, no, it's great. <laughs> he actually, um, I have an album 
of songs that are both uh, Shatner and Nimoy. Oh my goodness! Because William Shatner also like famously did Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Oh my gosh! I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, you need to you need to hear it. <laughs> it's probably more of a spoken word sort of thing. Yes, right? it is. Because <laughs> I have heard one of his later albums. A friend of mine has is uh, "You're All Gonna Die Someday." <laughs> yeah, it's it's. There's a video where he does it in the '70s on like Merv Griffin or something, <laughs> and he's he's sitting there you know got the lone spotlight on him and he's basically doing a spoken word of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds with a big cigarette so there's the the cigarette smoke in the in the spotlight and it looks I mean it's just very 70s oh yes <laughs> okay there's something for my YouTube list later oh but yeah yeah the dyma- dynamic though of DeForest Kelly for your three central characters uh, and I've actually heard description when you when you look at Kirk spot and and uh, and bones, you have almost three aspects of one person's personality. Where you have the very logic type of thing, you have the very uh, well emotional. pessimistic, you know, yeah, very emotional. Uh, Captain Kirk was a very emotional character, and uh, you know, ready for a fight. And then, of course, you got Bones as the typical skeptical part of us <laughs> that has to question everything. But it's really kind of cool when you see the three of them together. They almost think as like one person. It's almost aspect. We see aspects of ourselves in each of those three characters. And the show just clicks when the three of them are together. Yes. Oh yes. And I tell you what, they really broke some ground uh, with uh, the technology that they kind of previewed. Although I'm still waiting for my transporter so I can just beam myself wherever I need to go. But you know, they predicted cell phones, obviously. Uh, especially flip phones. Yes. From a, from a few <laughs> years ago because they look just like the little communicators they had. Oh, yeah. And I always told my wife I wanted to have a – back when flip phones were the thing before smartphones, when I flipped it up, I told her, so I want to have some sort of sound effect I can program to this where it makes the little – every time I opened it, it would be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Never got it to work. I'm sure somebody had something like that, but I wanted it so bad. They even uh, – I believe they are credited for the first interracial on-screen kiss. Yes, they are. Which was fantastic. And Michelle Nichols, uh, the O'Hara character, and um, Captain Kirk. And Michelle Nichols is actually going to be in town at the Kansas City Comic Con here in a couple of weeks. So I will hopefully get a chance to talk to her because that will be awesome. Be very cool. And they also also cast, of course, George Takei. Mm Mm-hmm. Sulu. Yeah. Another person of color. Yes, it was actually a really kind of diverse group that was on the ship. I mean, they, it, it was the cool thing with Star Trek is they, there's having the idea that the world is now united under the idea that we can travel into space and explore, and that's what people are concerned with. You know, we, we don't worry about all these stupid little petty things that we on this stupid planet fight over, which, I mean, right now, if you look, you watch the news, you can see the stupidity going on. But it's like everybody drops that when suddenly we develop a warp core drive and can actually explore the stars. Now suddenly we're excited about that and we come together. And so you get a ship and you have even an aliens, you know, you got a Vulcan on there mm-hmm. and all these different races and everybody just come together and they all have this one goal to just explore, just to see what's out there. Well, it's not just races. You, at the you, the start really of the Cold War, you bring on a Russian as your navigator. Yeah. Well, not till the second season. Yeah, he doesn't come into the yeah. second season, but still, that's a, that's a pretty strong move for an American television show at the time. Sure. Yeah, it was. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And, of course, we just love him for nuclear wessel. Yes, and his monkey's haircut. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was, I think, a little bit of reach to the younger audiences with him in there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, that still just reminds me of the uh, the actor that's passed that's been playing Chekhov. I'm going to miss that guy because they're, they're going to do a fourth movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. And they said, well, they're not going to recast Chekhov. I'm like, oh, it'd be sad to not have him there. Yeah. And they're not sure how they're going to handle him not being there yet from what I've been reading. They'll probably come up with a, something that he uh, took an assignment somewhere else or something. Maybe. I don't know. Because apparently they've come up with a way for Kirk's dad to come back with Chris Embersworth. So. I haven't looked too far into that exactly what their idea is. I don't know if they're trying to... Because, you know, a lot of the the main old series fans were really upset with the changes that J.J. Abrams made with, you know, blowing up Vulcan and killing Kirk's father, killing Spock's mother, all the changes that came right away. (laughs) My, My best buddy, who's a huge Star Trek fan, was just livid. It was hard to watch... But I understood why he was doing it. He wanted to tell his own stories. I mean, this gets, you know, basically it is a reboot. You've got the same characters, but you can have them doing new things. Right. The, The one little rub that I had with it is he didn't go all the way. If you're going to do that, don't have Leonard Nimoy survive. Yeah. And still be around. Yeah. Well, and they tried to explain it, I guess, with like a time warp thing. and So that way it could still be connected to the previous TV shows and movies and stuff like that, but yet still be its own thing. And so I, I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of appeasement. But yeah, I don't think I'd have been happier if they would have not have tried to connect it and just redo and start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, which is better than what Ghostbusters did, where they just, oh, well, we're going to start from scratch, but we're going to change everything. It's like, you know, if you're going to start from scratch, at least bring us the same characters. So at but least then you're not starting from scratch. Yeah, I guess. But it's nice to have some of the same characters back, you know? So, but yeah, I already did my rant on Ghostbusters last week, which it was was good, but not as good as it should have been. <laughs> but anyways, hold the well, I get sidetracked there. Yeah. But as for as for Star Trek, they could have easily brought in a new crew. I mean, just yeah. look in the history of Star Trek how many times they've brought in a new crew. Yeah. You've got all kinds of different series. I mean, the the original series only ran like what five years? Three, three, only three years. Only three years. Oh, see, I thought it went further because uh, like the collection sets. And I know my buddy has told me it's like, okay, these seasons were good, and this last season was okay. And because like, your first couple of seasons, I know you had Khan in there, and then Tribbles, and some of the best yep. stuff. And uh, what was it, Mirror Mirror, where everybody had like you had an e- weird version of Sulu, you had an evil Spock. Yep, and they and you knew they were evil because they had goatees and mustaches <laughs> right <laughs> and sashes sometimes you know yes so i mean you had a lot of really really great stuff and then it just kind of i guess petered out and and fell but the, the nice thing i guess we can we can thank star wars for helping bring star trek back a little bit there was a kind of a, a look for space movies so star trek managed to stay alive in movies even if that first movie is really rough mm, yeah <laughs> they I mean say well it's bad but they mean well yeah, but it's really Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan is actually the first Star Trek movie that I watched. Me too. Well, I was young. well, the first one I went to see was the motion picture. And did you know that that was originally planned for something called Star Trek II, which would have been a new television series? That was going to be like the the story was actually written as the pilot for that. And then when Star Trek or Star Wars took off, they went to the Paramount said, no, we need to make this a movie instead of a television show. Which was a good idea because uh, that's what really kept Star Trek alive for years is all those movies. And it seemed like only the even number ones are good. Although, you know, the third one's not bad. The third one is the best of the odd numbered ones. Yeah. 
<laughs> you could definitely say that. Although it's not as good as what would follow it up. And then I know people have a hard time deciding whether the Wrath of Khan or, or the Voyage Home is their favorite. I still like Wrath of Khan better. I. It depends on the mood I'm in. Wrath of Khan is more of a serious movie, but Voyage Home is more getting a lot more humor and comedy, mm-hmm. which is something that Star Trek was able, even in the television shows, There, some of my favorite episodes are the ones that have the more humorous um, slant to them. Let, yeah. let me guess, Scott, Piece of the Action. Oh, I love Piece of the Action. That's one of my favorite episodes. Okay, I can't, I can't think of if I've seen that one. It's the one where they beam down to a planet that the inhabitants of the planet are very mimicky. They, whatever, you know, they, they can mimic other people and their ideas and everything. And way in the past, a Federation ship had stopped there. And this was like before the prime directive. And one of the books they left on the planet was the crime bosses in, in the twenties in Chicago. So this whole planet has based their entire existence on Chicago mobsters. Wow. <laughs> okay, I think I've seen clips of it, but I've never watched the entire episode. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it's you must go back it's so it. funny because there's, you know, crime bosses and they they put the bag on on Kirk and it put him on ice, you know, it's just all this stereotypical mobster stuff and eventually Kirk starts because he's got to act like them to get through to them, and, it, and he starts acting like a mobster. It's so fun. Oh, well, it's on Netflix. I'm going to have to go watch it now. <laughs> Netflix is a wonderful thing for catching up on old shows. <laughs> but you've got that one, another humorous one, you know, like Mud's Women. That's one I, the next one I was going to mention. And uh, stuff like uh, the Tribble episode, of course. Yes, which I is... absolutely love it. <laughs> and what's... It's so ridiculous. Oh, and, and have you ever seen the sequel? There was a sequel episode? There is a sequel for to... It's called More Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, my goodness. Or, no, I'm sorry. It's More Tribbles, More Troubles. Oh. It was from the animated series. Oh, see, and I haven't seen a single episode of that. And that was... Did Filmation make that? I believe yes. it was Filmation. It had all of the voices except for one. And I can't remember which one of them is not in it. I know that series used to be on Netflix. But if I can't find it on there, one of these days I'll have to borrow that from a friend of mine. But, you know, same guy who's a big Trekkie and everything. Everybody will know him as Lost Boy Philip. He's been on the show quite a few times. But, uh, yeah, I know he's he's got pretty much every episode of every Star Trek ever. Yeah, the, the actor that didn't come back for the animated series is... Um, Walter Koenig. Yeah, Chekhov is not. So they, they had this alien character is their navigator in, in the animated one. I wonder if that's what they'll do for the I was Star just Trek movie. thinking that. Yeah, that I was would too. Be kind of interesting if they make a chip, do a tip of their hat to the animated series and bring those characters in. That'd be really cool. But there's there's several different callbacks to the original series in the animated one. I mean, there's like I mentioned the the Tribbles episode. Uh, there's another episode with uh, Mud and his um, robots. There's also an episode that has the Guardian of Time, which was the episode with Elizabeth Taylor. Really? Joan Collins. What's that? Joan, Joan Collins. Collins. You're right. Joan Collins. Yes. I don't know that I've seen that one. See you have Oh, well, that's like one of the best. Do I have the right name? City on the Edge of Forever. Yes. It's uh, one of the last episodes in season one. Uh, it's written by Harlan Ellison. So I'm going to have to sit one of these days and binge watch because I've not seen every episode of the original series or even every episode of The Next Generation. I'm really catching up 
on that. Since since uh, the BBC likes to show that for about two hours, usually in the every afternoon for the next generation, I've been catching up and seeing episodes that either I don't remember that well or that I missed entirely. So. Oh, next next gen when it came out, I remember um, being in front of the television when it was first aired. I I watched it in, in original run. I watched some of it, but I think season one, because the quality was so uneven, I think that kind of turned me off. So I didn't become a Next Generation fan until it went into syndication. And I got to see some of the better episodes. Yeah, I I came into it kind of late. I remember there were cereal boxes. I can't remember what cereal it was that had... You know, photos of the new cast and they had all the stuff about the premiere and everything. And I looked at it and I, all I could remember is this show from when I was really little that I that came on after Batman that I just didn't understand. And really, when you look at it, these the sets were really bad in the original Star Trek. I mean, it, it basically, you'd paint a room all kind of a light blue color, put a weird box with a few light bulbs on it, and then let Captain Kirk do his overhand two-handed hammered thing on somebody <laughs> every episode, you know. Which was funny the way you could tell when the stunt double was in because the camera would pull way back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whenever he'd do something. <laughs> so it was, you know, after watching, you know, Batman and having Biff Boff, you'd have a Captain Kirk fight and it it was kind of weird. <laughs> it just didn't have the same appeal. You were wondering where the Biffs and Boffs were? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why he only had one or two moves. <laughs> that is, of course, until, of course, he even does these moves with, uh, uh, it's actually a really great episode. I can't remember how he gets set up in there, but uh, he's on the planet by himself, and it's him versus the lizard dude. Arena. The Gorn. Arena. Yeah, the Gorn. Arena. I can't remember yes. what the setup for that was. He, oh, that's a great episode. They were chasing, uh, I can't remember why, because the episode starts off and the Enterprise is chasing an alien vessel, and there's a, a powerful being that they they go by this person's planet, and he doesn't understand what's going on, so to end the battle, he just he beams the captains of both ships onto this deserted planet to let them fight it out. And whoever wins the battle, their ship will be released and the other one he will destroy. Yeah. And that's that's actually based on a classic sci-fi story that I I can't remember if it is also called Arena. And that's one thing I really got into with the original series once, you know, I was more adult and was watching it more in, in syndication, is realizing how many science fiction authors had contributed. We already mentioned Harlan Ellison, um, the arena stories by Frederick Brown, another familiar name. There's Theodore Sturgeon, um, even Robert Block, who most people know best for Psycho, yep. contributed a story as well as Richard Matheson, who's also best known for I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's, you know all kinds of these authors. Well done. <laughs> Told you I was a sci-fi fan. <laughs> you have earned it today. My goodness. Yeah, that's probably what made the series so great, is you having all the, you know, all these different authors who have some great credentials coming in. I think that's one of the things that's actually helped with the relaunch of Doctor Who, is, is occasionally you do see, uh, oh, golly, I cannot think of the guy's name now. But he wrote stuff like Coraline. Um, Neil Gaiman. Yeah, Neil Gaiman. He has written a couple episodes of the new Doctor Who. So finding those people who are just really good at a genre and bringing them to work on a show is just a great idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Gotta agree with you on that one. Uh, so, yeah, Next Generation, though, uh, I came in a little, you know, I got into it a little late. But then when I started getting into it, uh, and I was probably second season, I think, when I started watching it. Uh, you know, it, was, it would come on right before I'd go to sleep when I was still in school. So... 
but uh, golly, I, I, I wish I'd seen every single episode, but I, some of the ones that the next generation that really stuck out is, and I never got to see what happened right before. But, uh, well, other than the fact when Q first introduced them to the Borg, when Q would kind of was taunting them and saying, you're not really ready for what's out there. And then, you know, zips them over to another part of the galaxy where they don't know where they are in their first encounter of the Borg, which the Borg then follow them back and become a problem. But I didn't see exactly when Picard was, was captured by the Borg and became one of them. I only managed to pick up, like, late into that one when they were fighting with Lucutus and managed to beam him back aboard the Enterprise, and they're trying to get Picard's mind free from the Borg. Yeah, you want to look for the title is The Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and Part 2. Yeah, and I've seen like half of Part 2 and it, well, probably all of Part 2. Yeah, The Best of Both Worlds, the first one was actually the cliffhanger for Season 3. Yeah. So I remember watching that and then you had to wait the whole summer to find out <laughs> what happened to Picard and did Riker shoot at the Borg. <laughs> yeah, they also did that, uh, I can't think of the end of which season it was, where they had um, they had gone into the past, and uh, let's see, so Picard well, Picard and I think some of the other one actually had followed where Data had already been back in the past and on Earth and he was trying to pretend to be human. You're talking about Time Zero. Yes, where they had a, a nice cliffhanger there at the end of the season and made everybody wait for the second part of the story when Picard came back and met Guinan for the first time actually in the past where you know, Guinan didn't know who in the world he was. Oh, that was a great one too. I really loved that one. Yeah, I was I was a fan right from the beginning. I know a lot of people don't like season one, but I kind of enjoyed se- several of the episodes. I mean, they did replay a lot of the same beats from the original series, mm-hmm. but the first season is where Q was introduced. Yeah. Oh, the very oh, first puts, episode. Yeah. Yeah, and he puts them on trial. Yep. Oh, and yes. I really, really like the Q character and the fact that he shows up. I mean, he's he's on Next Generation. He's in Deep Space Nine. He's on Voyager. He just keeps coming back. Yeah, that's the thing. When he'd show up on Voyager, like, you know, you could really do them a favor and just put them back where they know exactly. <laughs> Because that's what kind of made me lose my interest in Voyager. I was like, this is Lost in Space Star Trek edition. <laughs> it's like, I, I wanted another... I thought, oh, cool, because after Deep Space Nine, we're like, oh, look, they're stationary. They're not going anywhere. Whoopee. Voyager, when I when they, when they were started showing that, I was like, oh, good. We're going to be back on a starship with a new crew. Cool. This will be back to what I like about it. But then I was like, this is Lost in Space, and it's kind of depressing because it doesn't seem like they're ever going to get home. I, I will admit Voyager is... I, I have... A soft spot in the heart for that because I just love that series. I I really like the uh, interactions with the Borg that they had, and they actually had a Borg part of the crew at one point. Yep, it, well they had uh, a woman that they saved from the Borg and took most of her implants out. The ones they left them in because if they did, they would have killed her. And there's a whole story arc that lasted several seasons of her regaining her humanity. And then there was also the teenage boy, Borg, whose name I'm blanking on. Is that Next Generation? I remember no, that's it. Voyager. Near the end of Voyager, they uh, actually save um, three, three or kids. four kids. I can't remember exactly how many of it. And one of the kids, they, they couldn't find his parents. They found the parents for the other ones. But it was like the last season or next to the last season. So they had a, a second Borg character there. Huh. Yeah, because I remember it, and I, I don't think I saw how the episode ended up. It's probably on my DVR. I probably hit record because I had to leave to go back to work for my lunch break. But even the next generation had where they, uh, a Borg 
that they uh, had ended up with on the ship, and they were... He'd kind of almost gotten a little bit of his mind away from the Collective, but he still thought like a Borg. Yep. But he kind of, you know, got to... You know, they showed him around the ship, and they were trying to make him... Get him to where he could value life. But he was saying, oh, it'll be wonderful when you're assimilated. You're going to love it. Just, you know, don't worry. It'll be great. And they kept trying to tell him, so like, no, we like free will. Don't yep. you know what it's... Because you know what it means to say me and I. <laughs> you know, it's like great stuff but I, yeah, I haven't seen how that episode ends but I think it's on the DVR I hope it is <laughs> either that or I'm going to find that on Netflix because I you know there's a, but sometimes like uh, I would I come home you know when I was driving a school bus dispatcher I get to come home for lunch a little bit and I get to watch some episodes while I'm eating lunch but then I'd have to leave in the middle of an episode to go do the afternoon route and I'm like oh but what's gonna happen you know especially like the one where uh, um, oh, golly my brain just went out the window number one you know Riker they, where they had encountered a Riker that had been split during a, a transport beaming, yep, and where he was seemed to have been left behind on uh, this little uh, station that they only checked like every what ten years or something. I can't remember. This is, but so suddenly they meet this other Riker that has grown up. You know, spent the last ten. Like, not really grown up, but he has changed in 10 years compared to the Riker we're used to. So he's like an entirely different person and even has a lower rank than the Riker we're familiar with. And just there. And he's still in love with uh, Deanna. And... Mm-hmm. and the tension between the two Rikers. And oh my gosh, that was good stuff. Well, another thing that I liked about Next Generation is there was several episodes basically where they questioned command, where they had different stories where you were questioning command decisions that were coming to them. And there's a great episode, I believe it's called Pegasus, where we find out that in the past, Riker was on another ship, and the captain from that ship comes to get Riker because they found the Pegasus. That's the name of the ship. And it turns out they were testing cloaking technology on this ship. Which, I can't remember this. Yeah. Which was... A no-no. Um, it would uh, the Romulans. They couldn't have cloaking device. It was part of the treaty they had with the Romulans. Yeah. And the ship, they actually found it half in a asteroid because it had yeah. materialized in an asteroid. And but the whole time, the the former captain of the Pegasus is trying to get you know he's ordering because he's an admiral now. Yeah. So he's ordering Riker not to tell Picard anything. So the whole time he's trying, you know, they're on the Enterprise going to investigate this, but he can't tell him anything. Oh, yeah. That, I do remember that one. That was a good one. Oh, and another one that always kind of, uh, it was unnerving, this one. Um, and I haven't seen it but one time, but it's just stuck with me because it was, it's very, it's, it was kind of scary. Uh, they had brought in this one particular alien who could, uh, uh, yeah, he was pretty much telepathic. And he basically... You know, I'm trying to keep this family friendly, but he kind of invaded Deanna Troy's mind yep. and, you know, basically yeah. mind accosted. We'll say accosted. We're keeping <laughs> this family friendly. Yes. I had done stuff like that. And so, I mean, it's almost like he could get away with it because he didn't do anything physically, but it still had the emotional damage of what he had done. And, oh, it, it was, it was kind of terrifying because... I mean, how do you stop somebody like that who can just get in your head and mess with you and do things like that? It was like, oh, this is the most disgusting villain I think I've ever seen in a Star Trek episode. But, oh, my gosh, that that one, that episode just shook me to where I've only seen it once, but it just, it was so disturbing. Uh, just, ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
because you feel really bad for Deanna, but you're like, yeah, having no evidence. And I, I don't know if they were, I, I think that maybe it was a bit of commentary for, for women who come forward to rape victims, but and then, then nobody believes them. It almost seemed like it had that vibe. And right. I mean, th- that episode could actually be probably, you know, I'm, I'm actually right now because I'm going back to, to college, you know, my university is actually making me go through a sexual harassment thing in classes, which I'm like, okay, you're mainly focused when people are outside of class and what their activities are going to be like that, which I don't plan on being there. But, you know, the fact that they have to do this huge thing to be protectant of the students, you know, it's, you know, that episode of Star Trek would be very viable in the current campuses. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I know the episode, but I can't remember the title of that one. Mm-hmm. If I ever watch oh. it again, they'll probably just disturb me again. <laughs> so call or write in, listeners, and tell us what episode we're talking about. Exactly. If you saw that one and you were just as disturbed by that as I was, and well, you just wanted to give Deanna Troy a hug, you know. <laughs> she was such a great character anyway, especially uh, when they started doing movies with them. And I, I do got to tell a story about Generations, but uh, I loved it in First Contact when you got to see her trying to talk with uh, Zephyrin Cochran. And she's kind of half drunk and half buzzed. Yep. And the record just comes in. And he's just grinning ear to ear watching her trying to explain what was going on. Uh, he wouldn't even talk to me until, like, the fourth drink. <laughs> well, I... I think Next Generation had a bunch of great characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and with that, it's a very good ensemble cast. It, like I said, it took a little while to come together. Once it did. Oh, yeah, it had and some great characters. And now Will Wheaton is probably more famous for things he does now than when he was Wesley. <laughs> but, okay, i got to tell a quick story on Generations. And uh, there's an old high school friend of mine. He might be a listener. I don't know. But uh, he would design ships he'd get like graph paper and he would come up with ideas and he would just love the whole technical aspect of the whole thing uh, that uh, when he saw Generations I didn't see it at the same time he did but I remember him coming back to class as like I, when, when the Enterprise was crashing on the planet he actually cried <laughs> I was like you know I gotta love you for that because I well, understand that's another thing Trek's got a long history of is destroying the Enterprise I mean they <laughs> they do it in just you know several of the movies the Enterprise gets destroyed Oh, yeah. And apparently uh, this new movie, it looks like we're going to destroy it and get a brand new ship already. Yep. <laughs> Which I hope they call it some sort of an Enterprise. I don't know. I haven't, at this point, I have not seen the movie, by, by, but the, by this point in the podcast, you listening will have heard my review from after I do see it here coming pretty quick. But at this point, I have not seen it, so I don't know what all's going on. I'm, I'm kind of thinking with a little bit I've seen in the trailers, it reminds me a little bit of what I think the Reliant, you know, was that con ship? Oh. Was that what it was called? Where it had Reliant, the Botany Reliant, Bay, wasn't it? Yeah, the Reliant. No, Botany Bay was the uh, original ship that uh, Khan was on. Yeah. Uh, the Reliant is from Deep Space Nine. I can't remember what the name of the little ship that he had that he does the battle with um, with Kirk. And I've got a story about that that I need to share. Oh yes, it was the Reliant that Khan had. Okay. I had to do a quick look it up. Yes, the USS Reliant. And from little bits of images I've seen. Uh, with this new film, it almost looks like that's what they're going to give them, is something similar in this new movie. But you know, like I said, at this point, I haven't seen it, so I <laughs> can't say. I, the, the scene from um, The Wrath of Khan, where Khan has the, the ship and he fights the Enterprise, basically they, they sneak up on him, sneak up on the Enterprise. When I was in high school, you know, the movie had already been out, and I was already a big Trek fan at this point. I went down to Florida for spring break. My grandparents were down there. And being good grandparents, they 
you know, took me to where I wanted to go. And this year, went down there, I wanted to go to Universal Studios in Florida. At the time, they had a place where you could go and they'd put you in costumes. They'd put you in a room that had all the lines that you needed to say were written on like poster boards stuck to the wall. And you were to look at those. And so they get the sight lines right for the video that they would insert you in. Right. So you got to reenact scenes from famous movies. And they had Star Trek. (laughs) And they had this whole little story where you had to have at least two people. But uh, there was going to be a new captain and a new first officer beaming aboard the Enterprise for their first mission after coming out of um, Starfleet Academy. Well, basically, they they interspersed the scenes from that fight because there's a bunch of Klingons in the, what I did that were on the other ship, and you have to battle with them. Well, like I said earlier, you had to have two people to do it. And I was there with my grandparents. Well, my grandmother had no interest at all in doing it. My grandfather, who had never watched an episode of Star Trek in his life, but bless his heart, he joined me so I could do it. And they made him the Vulcan. (laughs) So he's got these little ears, the pointed ears on. And I still have, I had it on VHS and I've converted it to DVD. I still have this video. About half the time, he's got both ears on, and about half the time, one of them had fallen off. Because <laughs> they didn't film the scenes in order. Right. Oh and they had goodness. to do a couple takes of different things. But it actually starts off, Gene Roddenberry's there, and you actually, they look like they beam you in, and you're talking. There's uh, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, and they talk to you a little bit, you know, pretend to talk to you. And then they beam you to, the, to this planet, and I was a hand. Tracy's video. What do you mean was a hand? <laughs> the, vi- the, the video, I'm just, I'm going over the top, having so much fun. But yeah, I got to pilot the Enterprise in that video. I was I was the new captain. And my grandfather, like I said, he was just... Lord bless him. He, tra- he tried. He tried. and But he didn't know anything about how a Vulcan should act or anything. So... <laughs> But it is so fun. It is, it uh, <laughs> and I think you've mentioned this before. And I was like, when are you going to post it to Facebook or something? I have, I've never posted it. I've only shared it with one person outside of my family. <laughs> oh, you must share it. <laughs> I'm doing my, my Jedi mind trick, okay? You must share Wrong the video. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, well, because I, I can't think. Well, okay, I can't think of one person who could do a mental thing, but that guy was creepy, so I won't. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about that. <laughs> yeah, we won't go into his mind trick. It was a nasty mind trick. So, <laughs> but yeah, that that shows you the level of fandom I had for Star Trek. Oh my goodness! Well, while we're speaking of, you know, we we mentioned that Deanna has, you know, being half Betazoid has the ability to sense other people. We got to talk about her mom. Oh, and I know I've seen an episode with her mom. Oh, yes. Played play by Majel Barrett. I can't think of the character's name right now, but she is... Loxana. Loxana. Yeah, Loxana. But she is she is a joy to watch. She's, She's a hopeless romantic, trying to find a man the entire time, and... Is oh, fatuated with Picard. Yeah, she's got yeah. Thoughts for Picard. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about all I remember for that episode. <laughs> she shows up in a oh, couple probably of half them. a dozen episodes. Yeah. 
she's a, a fun recurring character. I mean, she's also the voice of the computer. Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, because uh, was Gene that? Roddenberry's wife. Yeah. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry's wife. Yeah. And she's she did the voice of the computer all the way up into Voyager. Yeah. Wow. And I'm trying to think now in these modern movies if they actually even have a, a voice in the computer. Have they done that yet? Of course, the original series, I don't think the computer had a voice much, did it? No, the right. original series, the the computer didn't speak until Next Generation. Yeah, so maybe they haven't done it yet in the movies. I'm trying to think of any time the computer spoke to them, but I don't think it ever has. But that would be the coolest computer ever if it could just you could interact with it and you could talk to it and you didn't have to worry about typing the keyboard. I mean, I guess they kind of have that technology now a little bit. I don't know. Some of the things I say to my computer, I don't want it to understand. <laughs> yeah, one of the first uh, grown-up jobs I had when I was working for Kansas City Life Insurance, whenever I had a problem with the computer, uh, one of the, the tech ladies would come and say, well, you weren't sweet-talking enough. Were you yelling at the computer? You hurt its feelings. <laughs> yeah, you need to pick up the mouse and say, computer. <laughs> <laughs> I will get my cat to get this mouse if you don't be that would be my thing. I do have a cat around. If this thing misbehaves, I will let that cat get to smells. A keyboard. How quaint. How quaint. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love Voyage Home. Oh, yes. I, definitely on the lighter side. And, and that's something that all the iterations of Star Trek has, have done well, is blending comedy in with their more important social commentary that they're trying to make or the action sequences or what have you. It's, it's been a nice blend of genre. Yeah, basically anytime you put Spock and Bones in the same room and let them have a conversation, you're going to have fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> always love that. And that's even remind me yet of another really just great episode from the original series, uh, and I cannot think of what it was titled. But it, basically there was this planet where there was like some sort of viral outbreak that had wiped out everybody, but it also had stunted the growth of the children. So they were actually well beyond adult age, but they were stuck in that kind of pubescent mindset because they, could, they couldn't really age, and they were slowly dying. And uh, they managed to trap Kirk and – oh, golly, did they, get, did they get bones too? I don't know, but Kirk and some of the other ones kind of trapped them there, you know, because adults – either are going to help them cure themselves or something that, you know, oh, I can't remember what's going on, but yeah, that was a great, I'm sorry. It was a great episode and I can't remember everything, but it was, it was very interesting. If you watch that episode again, play close attention to the buildings, because if you've ever seen an episode of the Andy Griffith show, those buildings will look very familiar. Hmm. Okay. So now I've got to go back and watch again. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Andy Griffith. But yeah, they they use the same sets for Mayberry? a lot. Mayberry shows up in Star Trek. Well, it was all CBS Studios, wasn't it? Uh, Desi Lou, which Desi, was yeah, um, Desi, Desi Arnaz and um, Lucille Ball. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, they were part of Star Trek. I, remember, I know I've seen some documentaries when I borrowed the DVD sets and everything. I did watch a lot of the different documentaries and behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember everything, but I can't remember everything. Uh but we better start wrapping this up. I mean, I could keep going and because uh, different episodes, uh, episodes just keep jumping into mind. Like, of course, the famous Kirk and Spock fight there with uh, like the Vulcan mating rituals. Han Far. Yeah, a lot of really great stuff that they got. And just to add some interesting drama that would keep you on the edge of your seat, even if it was you know compared to what we're used to today. You know, the special effects were not that great. The costumes were pretty bad for their aliens. 
you even there when they had uh, oh I can't remember all the details, details but they came across this weird what it seemed like a, this godlike being who was nothing but a giant head that looked ridiculous but the, you know the, the cool part about the story is at the end when they finally find the source of it it's this child yes oh wow I mean, just the ground that they would do were something that, when you look at it compared to the current technology, that giant head looks ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's the Corbinite maneuver. That's the name of that yes, episode. Yes, but yet, but again, the story is so compelling, you're willing to overlook the not so special special effects. Exactly, and the bad same fighting move of Kirk overhand chop or whatever. <laughs> and the Vasquez rocks that stood in for every alien planet. <laughs> Yeah, everything looked like somewhere in Arizona. <laughs> so we talked about the original series. We talked about Next Generation. We talked about Voyager. What about Deep Space Nine? I didn't watch much. Sounds of that like no, none yeah. of us really got into that that yeah. much. And I know um, there's some people who are big fans of it, but I they weren't going anywhere. Yeah, I I never got into it that much either. I know I've had some friends that say I should watch it and every time I can get about somewhere in season two and I just can't it just loses interest for me yeah. and it did have some cool characters what was it uh, Quark who was uh, not a Bajoran um, the Bajorans were kind of the main people but uh, oh uh, you know they had the weird Ferengi. big ears they were Ferengi. Yes, the Ferengi you know they did have some interesting characters I remember him, I enjoyed him because he was just so slimy in his own way <laughs> yeah. well they also had um I can't call him Meanie's character. Uh, O'Brien. Yeah. From oh, Next Generation. Yeah. He was there, and then Worf oh, eventually there, showed yeah. up there. And his wife, Keiko. Not Worf's wife, Keiko. Not Worf's wife. Right. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, was it was it Voyager, or was it Deep Space Nine that had... Uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but he was—he was a bit of a shorter kind of kind of interesting. But he was a—he was a—I believe it was Deep Space Nine because he was—I think he was the medical officer there, or he was a doctor of some sort. Had kind of weird weird head, but he was a little bit shorter than everybody else. Well, the doc, the doctor in Voyager was a holograph. Right, that's what I was thinking. No, it must have been Deep Space Nine because I Deep think Deep Space Nine. No, he was human as well. Are yeah. You, are you thinking because of, of the the pilot episode of that? He just—that's like he just. Are gets you thinking of Enterprise? Out. Maybe. Yeah, he might be thinking of Enterprise. Enterprise mainly everybody was human, and this was this was maybe no. There was their the, doctor was Doctor Flox was a, was the was an alien. He was stationed on Earth, and they when they the very pilot episode they had to take that Klingon back to um, the home world, and none of the doctors knew anything, so they took Flox because he had dealt with a Klingon before. Okay, well I found some pictures, and I see that he was on Voyager, the guy I'm thinking of. So I guess he wasn't the doctor, but. I really like the character. And Are you I thinking think of Neelix? That, I think, yeah, I think Neelix. He had the weird hairstyle, kind of weird head. Yeah. And he seemed like he was just Neelix. a little shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Was he the science officer? No. He, I know he was different. He wasn't part of the original crew. They found him in the pilot episode, and he joined the ship because he was a traitor in the Delta Quadrant. So he was brought on because he knew his way around and knew some of the people in the Delta Quadrant. And he eventually became, he was a cook for a while on the ship. He ran the, and then he became an ambassador and a morale officer. officer. He he was did a whole bunch of different things, and he was training to be a security officer because he was he wanted to be good friends with Tuvok, but Tuvok wasn't having any of it. (laughs) Yeah, and Tuvok was there, the first black Vulcan that I think I remember seeing. It was just cool. 
Oh, I like Tim Russ. I thought he was great. Yeah, they did have a pretty good cast on there. Yes. And, of course, they have to do mention that Robert Duncan McNeil, who played the holographic doctor, did later go on to executive produce and direct several episodes of Chuck. Uh, no, he was, um, he wasn't the doctor. He was, um... Is that Chakotay? No, no, no. He's the guy that, uh, Paris. Ah, yeah. He was Robert the, Picardo is the doctor. Yeah, Robert Picardo was the doctor. Oh, okay. So I gotta look it up, because I, I thought it was... All right, I'm gonna look at, get a look at the guy. Yeah, he was, uh, he was Paris, the, uh, Oh! Yeah, okay. No, because, yeah, I was, I was just looking at pictures of Voyager and saw that guy. I was like, golly, that guy kind of looks familiar. I can't think of him, but now that I, you know, look up his name. See, all this time, I was thinking that that was the... Uh, <laughs> yes, to be fair, he was training as a medical Yes, officer. he was. Yeah. In the last few seasons, he, he was their medic whenever the... Once the doctor got his mobile emitter and could leave. Yeah. Ah, and Ethan Phillips, that's the guy, the actor who played yes, Neelix. Yep, that's I remember Neelix. seeing him in a lot of stuff in the 80s. A lot of different characters that he would play. Well, he uh, plays a Ferengi on one episode of Next Generation. Briefly? Yes. I, I might remember, but I remember him. Uh, he was always popping up. Uh, I'm going to back up here into his earlier stuff. Wow, he's got a lot of credits to his name on IMDb. But, uh, I remember seeing him in the 80s on Benson. There it was. That's where I knew him mainly from. I used yeah. to love watching Benson. He was on well, there a lot. And if we go to Benson, then we have Rene Aubergenoy, who played Odo yes. on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Yes, which was one of the other cast members on Deep Space Nine I actually really liked. His, yes. His. Why don't you go back to your bucket? Because <laughs> <laughs> he slept in a bucket. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, because he was almost like a liquid human. Well, not really. Humanoid, I guess. Right. Yes. He was almost like a weird liquid guy. He was very cool idea. So, yeah. They had at least some good characters on Deep Space Nine. Maybe I'll have to give that show another try. But I just always got bored of the fact that they never went anywhere. Yep. Yeah, it's, it, that one... That and the... Space Station kept falling apart almost every episode, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. From the ep- yeah, the episodes I've watched, that one, it seemed to be the most serious-minded of all of the series. I mean, yes, there were moments of humor, but it seemed like there was more overarching plot lines, you know, multi-season plot lines with the Bajoran and the Kardas- Kardashians. Not, no, Cardassians. Not, not the Cardassians. <laughs> yeah. Big difference. Big difference. Yes, one I like and one I don't. You could figure yeah, out which one. Yeah, one you'll yes. see naked what, all over the yes. internet. What, if what is awful people it. and the other ones naked on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that's kind of how it works. I don't want to see a naked Cardassian. <laughs> <laughs> no, they probably aren't that attractive either. <laughs> uh, but we, I guess we haven't really talked much, though, about Enterprise. Which I only—I think I only watched one season, and it ended up with kind of a cliffhanger thing. There was some sort of... Uh, oh, the, the ending is so disappointing. Of the series. Of the know. series, yeah. yes. Yeah, it only ran, what, two seasons? Four. What? It did go longer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I love, the love, two. love the third season of Enterprise. I'm, I know I'm in the minority. It's a, an entire season where they go and they battle the Zindi. And I just I love that whole season. It's one that you have to watch every episode because mm-hmm. the the story goes all the way through, which was unusual for most of the Star Trek that I watched. But it ended at the very end, and it turns out that the entire show was a hologram that Riker in um, was it Troy. I think it was Troy. We're watching to to do research on you know. Starfleet when it started. 
So it was all a dream. It was all a dream. Well, except for, I get it was to be like a historical record they were reviewing, though, right? Yes, just, so. but it just, it felt so flat. Oh, because, I mean, they're still saying that it all happened. It's just saying, well, you're not actually getting to see it watch it happen. You're actually watching them re- review historical records. Because, I mean, they've done that a few of the times. And in the next generation, you could input a lot of data and yep. have it completely, very realistically do a hologram. And I'm thinking of an episode where Riker's accused of, of murder uh, and blowing up this uh, weird device or something. Yep. Um, so, you know, that kind of still could make sense. It's just, when you see it, it's so disappointing. Uh, because, you know, they had this whole run through most of the season about this temporal time war that was going on. A temporal war. Time war. Time war, which was very fascinating. And that just, they knew when it got close to the end of the fourth season that they weren't going to get a fifth season. So they just had to wrap things up really quickly. Mm. And you think that would have been stronger? I mean, when you had Scott Bakula as the captain, how can you go wrong with that? Oh, he's great. That, that was another cast I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I want to call him Mac, but I don't think I was right. But the kind of the Texan guy that, who was the there engineer. Was, there was Trip, yeah. and there Trip. was Malcolm. And Malcolm was the Engl- he was from England. He was or the gunner. Scottish. Or Scottish. Yeah, I can't remember. Was, yeah, the uh, quartermaster kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, they had the Vulcan on there that was uh, always kind of getting in Scott Bakula's way. <laughs> he was criticizing everything he did. <laughs> yeah, I always liked when she had to go through the um, decontamination. decontamination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fan uh. service. Although, to be fair, they did put the guys in there, too. So they were, they were fan servicing their entire audience. <laughs> That's when something pointed out. I was like, hey, you know, she's kind of cute for a Vulcan. <laughs> Get past the pointy ears? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'd seen cute Vulcans before. I mean, you had uh, uh, Kirstie Alley. Uh, playing a Vulcan in, uh, I guess, Rathacon first showed up, then they swapped actresses out for uh, for the search for Spock, and then Curious Daly came back. Yes, yeah, uh, well, she started out, it was uh, Kim Cattrall. Oh, yeah, Kim Cattrall. I remember her coming in as well, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They did all kinds of weird stuff with swapping actresses. <laughs> but we'd seen cute Vulcans before. <laughs> but nothing uh, like Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you realize, you know, that, that I guess, the hair piece that they had her use when you saw her normal hair and what she looked like normally, you're like, wow. Yeah, she, she looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very, very different. But she was was really great at just being Vulcan and just very cold. Yes. So, got to give her a lot of credit for that. But we better start wrapping this up here because I got more stuff to fit into this episode. Uh, but everybody who wants to be able to find you to make sure, you know, DisneyIndiana.com. Did you want to quickly talk about uh, Friends of the Magic? And I'm getting around at that. I just want to make sure everybody goes and finds it. And they can find you guys, Friends of the Magic. Do you happen to know what the dates for Friends of the Magic are this year? It is... The first weekend first in August. weekend of August, which is the 5th, 5th 6th, and 7th. Okay, and I know I we haven't received full confirmation yet, but I but uh, we've been talking to Bryn, and we're looking like it'll be a haunted mansion in the evening that you will find Lost Boy Eric there. Uh, we're going to give away copies of a comic book, the haunted mansion comic. Uh, I've sent him a bunch of buttons uh, to give away, only ten buttons. So first come, first serve, I guess. Either or Eric and I are going to figure out some sort of fun game to play with everybody. I don't know. Yeah, we're going to do something a little different this year. Um, we're going to be handing out uh, during the Kungaloosh uh, traditional opening meet Friday night a game grid. It's got uh, a bunch of squares in it, and each square has something like someone who can name four Disney parks, or someone who's 
can name four Disney podcasts. And what you have to do is go around to the other people that are attending Friends of the Magic, meet with them, talk with them, and try to get find people that can answer those questions and fill the square in. So it's an icebreaker. It's an icebreaker type thing. And we're going to have a couple of prizes, uh, one for the first person that finishes their game board, and then we'll have a random drawing of everybody who turns in a finished game board. But it's going to run the entire um, three days of the event. And since it's a game grid, I, I figure the MCP is in control of this. So very, very <laughs> much very, very careful. All I know is that Mortis will have nothing to do with it. Yeah, Je- Jessica's going to put the game grid together. Yeah, because she is kind of the MCP there in Disney Indiana. And she's so far been more trustworthy, I think. Yes. <laughs> but that, that's know. what we're going to do this year. Something a little bit different. It's something that we've done at the Indy Disney Meet every year is uh, do this uh, little icebreaker type game. And it's really fun to start talking to people that you may not come up and talk to before and get to know them and get to talk to them a little bit because we're all there for our love of Disney. So, mm-hmm. And speaking of the Indie Disney meet, if anybody else would like to find you and they're not going to Friends of the Magic and they live in Indiana, that's a good place also to find you too. That is the, 20, is the 27th of August. I don't remember. I'd have to look at look it up. And anyone else who's We're looking in, in the actually, calendar. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I something I should have probably looked up uh, real quick. But anybody living in the Kansas City area, if you didn't get to come to see the panel at Planet Comic Con, or if you do, I will be at the Kansas City Comic Con. And I'm still working on ideas for a panel, but I do hope to have a panel. But I will at least be there, so you can try to find me. I'll be wandering around here. They have been adding a lot of really interesting guests. Speaking of Michelle Nichols, she's going to be there. Oh, look, Margaret Carey is going to be there uh, August 12th through the 14th. I will make sure I talk to her. I have had her phone number that uh, was given to me by uh, uh, trying to think, Greg's. Uh, he was he was in uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3 as uh, the new version of George McFly. Uh, but he actually gave me Margaret Carey's phone number, and I just had never gotten around to calling her to have her on the show. She's a sweetheart. We've, we've had a chance to meet her at uh, previous Friends of the Magic. She's going to be at the Kansas City Comic Con this year, so I'm going to go. And the Indy Disney Meet is in Noblesville, Indiana on Saturday, August the 27th from 1 to 7 at the Hamilton County Fairgrounds. Awesome. So definitely there are ways to kind of meet with us. If you can't go to the Fringe of Magic and you're disappointed about it, come find us at other places. We'll be glad to say hello to you. Although uh, Kansas City Comic Con, I'm probably going to be running around crazy the entire time because I'm, you know, I'm looking at this uh, the list of guests. we got John Schneider and Tom Wopat. Both Yeehaw. Of them. Exactly. <laughs> And, I mean, Dukes of Hazard, even though I didn't understand when I was little, was, like, my favorite show just because I loved watching the cars jump. And somewhere, uh, my parents at a World of Wheels got me the autograph of the actor who played Boss Hogg. Oh, cool. So I, I, I got to officially now get the autographs of John Schneider and Tom Wopat now. But, yes, Kansas City Comic Con is coming up, So, and I do plan on having a panel. I just haven't decided what I want to do yet, and I really better get on it because it's coming fast. I'm either going to talk to Thank You Walt Disney or uh, I do know who the commander is for the 501st in the Kansas City area, and I had the thought, maybe I can get some of the 501st to talk about costuming. So I don't know. Either way, keep your eyes open on the Kansas City Comic Con here, 12 through the 14th, because there's definitely some fun. Heck, Billy D. Williams is going to be there. <laughs> I mean, what more do you want? So, yes, the Indiana Disney Meet. Or did I, I called that probably the wrong thing. 
Indie Disney meet. Yep. Indie Disney meet. Good place to find you guys if you can't go to Friends of the Magic. And a good place to find me is Kansas City Comic Con, KCCC, August 12th through the 14th. There's lots of ways to meet up, so if you're like me, I can't get out to Friends of the Magic, which is why I'm glad Eric can get out there. And y'all are very familiar with, with Eric. He's been my most frequent of my co-hosting team. So get out there and have some fun with some of your podcast friends. And so uh, now that uh, it's time to uh, to say goodbye, so to speak. To all our company. company. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where are you going to beam us back to? Can I go to Ryza, please? Well, I could just strand you there. Uh, I'll leave you at least one phaser with one <laughs> shot in it, you know, Captain Jack Steyer. If, if, you, if you figure out where all the rum has gone on Ryza, then you might be okay. Please don't throw me in that briar patch. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true.